0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Paranormal Christian. Your host is Pastor Michael Frisbee, founding pastor of Liberty Gospel Ministries. Pastor Frisbee has spent 23 years as a deliverance minister and Christian demonologist. The Paranormal Christian. Educate and inform our listeners of the deceptive ways of the demonic and the lies they perpetrate within the New Age and Paranormal. The Paranormal Christian represents the truth of God's word and the power and authority of Jesus Christ that believers can use to free themselves. We now bring you this episode of the Paranormal Christian, a proud member of the Christian Freedom. Thank you for joining me again on another weekly episode of The Paranormal Christian. I uh, hope you guys caught my special edition show last night uh, with Linda Rohrbach and the Al Qaeda Connection. It was a very interesting and informative show. Tonight, <clears throat> well, I guess last week I was right. We are still here. Obviously, if you're listening to me, we did not all die yesterday. And of course, what we've been trying to tell y'all, and everyone else that was buying into this whole Mayan thing, the Mayans did not prophesy that we would die at the end of the calendar. They just had no one around to make a new one. It's the new age, and all these false prophets and mystics and spiritualists and mediums and psychics they were all trying to sell their books and all their other stuff to get you suckered out of your money that came up with the whole thing that that we're all going to die yesterday So praise be to god we still are looking for that time to come when good lord is going to come back to this earth and i am sure that all these new agers are going to be looking for some kind of explanation to to as to what really happened yesterday. And I know some of it will probably be, oh, well, we had a spiritual changing, a spiritual awakening. It's a new age of this. It's a new age of that. Spare me, folks. All we have is another day. A calendar has ended, an ancient calendar. Okay, it ended because that was the end of its cycle. That's it. Done with it. However, we now have a new deadline. News out of the UK. (laughs) Mail online. Forget the Mayan apocalypse. The new date for Doomsday is January 1, 2017. Claims, Sword of God cult. Yes, folks. We now have just over four years to make ends meet, to make everything come to an end, to get our stuff packed up, all that good stuff. Anyways, here's what they're saying, folks, and here's the article at dailymail.co.uk. Followers believe they will survive, but everyone else will perish in hellfire. This gloomy prediction follows a worldwide anticipation of the annihilation of yesterday. And there are other forecasts which we will talk about here. Alright, it says, The world may have escaped Armageddon yesterday, but the actual apocalypse is nigh on four years away, doomsdayers have claimed. The new date for annihilation is January 1, 2017 according to the followers of the Sword of God Brotherhood. Well, what fun is that? That means we don't get to see Obama get bumped out of office. You know, we're all going to die before he leaves office. That kind of sucks. Anyways, (laughs) they believe that the Prophet Gabriel told the Brotherhood that the dying time will come on this date, and only members of the cult will survive while everyone else perishes in hellfire. Some great pictures here. We got three ladies all painted in green with antennas of, of uh, looks like aluminum wrap. Uh, let's see. The gloomy prediction follows yesterday's scene of people around the world preparing for oblivion at 11, 11 a.m. By the way, who came up with the time that was supposed to happen yesterday? I heard everything from 6.06. 7:06, because apparently that was 6:66. Uh, I, you know, here's 11:11 11, 11 a.m. Other people said at midnight. You know, where do they figure the time out on this stuff? All right, when when the 5,126-year uh, calendar of the ancient Mayan civilization ended, it proved particularly anticlimactic. For the few dozen people who climbed a mountain in Bougaroc, southwest of France, where they believed that they would be rescued by aliens hidden inside the rock. Really, folks? <laughs> the site was believed to be the only safe haven to survive the pending doom, which was supposed to include a giant tsunami covering the earth and wiping out everything in its path. Okay, well, that's one interesting scenario I hadn't heard of. Bugrock's Mayor Jean Pierre Delouard had described the situation as a no laughing matter and pleaded with the world not to descend on the small town. Ian Napolitano, 47, from Southport Merced, arrived with a dinghy as he braced himself for the apocalyptic wave. He told The Sun, I don't know what to say, but I'm sort of glad the world hasn't ended. French civil servant Michel Paus. Forty-seven, All these 47ers. I'm a little embarrassed. I turned 47 the day before the world ended. You know, I, it kind of sucked because I wasn't going to get to that 50 mark. <laughs> Anyways, Michel Paus, 47, from Paris, said he knew the world would not end, but remained defiant about the mound's extraterrestrial inhabitants. He added, an ancient god came here thousands of years ago and went into the mountain where he keeps his virgins. Well, son, why aren't you digging for one? Because obviously with your attitude, you're not going to find a woman. Anyways, elsewhere, Mayans marked the end of the solar cycle at uh, Guatemala's Gran Jaguar Temple. Well, there was a bumper crowd at Stonehenge where the the end-of-the-world onlookers join druids celebrating the winter solstice. Other predictions for Oblivion included 2023, when Judgment Day will descend upon us, according to the theologist Ian Gurney. Mr. Gurney, guess what? You're wrong, too. It's just going to take ten years to prove you wrong. Uh, But with some luck of the Irish, man will be around for a little while longer. Irish Saint Malachi foretold in 1143 that there would be 112 more popes before the catastrophe. And so far we are on 111. So um, the world's not going to end yet. And we've still got a few years left on the current pope. A more realistic forecast, however, is approximately 4,500,000, 4,500,000, no, wait a minute, 4,500,000,000 A.D. when the sun will swell into a giant star engulfing Mercury, Venus, Earth, and possibly Mars. Okay? So, they got interesting pictures on here and all that. But, uh, it's, it's all kind of hysterical, folks. You know, the people got themselves in all kinds of just like they did back in in 1999. You know, remember Y2K? Everyone's predicting that all the bank computers were going to melt down, There's going to be a financial crisis, the world was going to go into a blackout because all the computers running the electric uh, production factories and everything was all going to go melt down. uh, I got to admit, I made some money back. Then uh, I was offering a Y2K um, anti-crash kind of service. You know, 99 bucks. I come in and I I certify that your computer will not melt down. Not, Talk a little bit about these prophets. 4. In fact, he wrote an awesome book. I want you guys to check it out. It's called the Resurrect Trilogy. Right, just uh, I'll, Let me pull it up on my little browser and I'll be able to, to copy and paste the uh, thing right in there for those of you that are in the chat room. Um, just resurrecttrilogy.com and you can read up about Command, Commander Dave there and read about his book. I read the first first book of the trilogy. He's got two and three yet to come out. Uh, the first book is amazing. Alright, And to simply put it this way, um, there's a big difference between asteroids and comets. And we're going to talk to Commander Dave about that. And why why do we have to worry more about a comet hitting us than an asteroid? and that's kind of the focus of the first book. And, and to give you an idea just how, how wham bang spectacular this thing is, the, the book, which is pretty long, but I've I read it in two days on, on full throttle reading that I do, uh, the book, as long as it is, the main character dies in the first chapter. <laughs> and then it gets interesting. So you want to check it out you got to check it out and uh you will not be disappointed will not be disappointed in this book so he's going to be coming on in a little bit um moving on to some other stuff i found i did a little research up, out there on on prophecies and so forth uh and there's a website out there you got to love it top10s.net T-O-P-T-E-N-Z dot net. And it says, life on a short list. Love this place. And top ten most famous Doomsday prophecies that failed. Okay? Number ten, the Jupiter effect, 1982. Okay, those of you that are old enough to remember 1982, all right, I was 16 back then, all right, in 1982, two professional astrophysicists, John Gribbin and Stephen Plageman, floated the idea that a rare alignment of all nine planets, it's always an alignment of all nine planets, in 1982 would create a combined gravitational pull that would place huge stresses on the planet's tectonic plates, causing killer earthquakes and severe changes in the Earth's climate. The book they wrote together, The Jupiter Effect, caused quite a stir at the time, but after the alignment passed and without incident, with even the combined gravitational pull of all eight planets having barely a measurable effect on Earth at all, their professional reputation took quite a beating. Really? Who'd have guessed? They later claimed the theory was intended simply as an exercise in astrophysical speculation, but by then the damage was done. While the Jupiter effect proved to be a bust, however, it is one of the most popular doomsday scenarios which held nature responsible for the end rather than God's wrath, for which I'm sure the Almighty was mightily pleased. Now let me ask you something. Isn't nature something God controls? Okay. Uh <laughs> just I kinda of throw that out there. Uh number nine. Elizabeth Clare Prophet in the Church Universal and Triumphant, 1990. While all the attention lasted only a short time, with much of it being negative, for a time in the late 1980s, the founder and spiritual head of the Church Universal and Triumphant, Elizabeth Clare Prophet, a.k.a. Guru Ma, had quite a few people convinced that a nuclear war would start on April 23, 1990 which convinced many of them to stockpile food and guns in her underground bomb shelter in Montana. While the federal government is always encouraging preparedness in the face of potential disaster, the church proved it was a bit too prepared for their taste, as they promptly seized her arsenal of firearms and convicted a handful of her followers, including her husband, on federal weapons charges. Curiously, the lack of nuclear war did not immediately spell the end of her movement, as they continued to hunker down in Montana bunkers for some time afterwards, with some of them not venturing out until only recently. Imagine that, 20-some years in a bunker. Now, it reminds me of a a show. There was a show about that. (laughs) Number 8 on the old-time prophecy scale. 1666 CE Much like today, almost every year through history has been picked by someone as the big finale, but some dates garner more interest or fear than others. One year that proved to be especially popular was the end times types with 1666, which was arrived at by combining the 1,000 years of the first millennium with the mark of the beast of revelations using such a complex mathematical formula must have been pretty impressive to our ancestors, which is what made 1666 such a sure bet among doomsday aficionados during the Renaissance. Astonishingly, it proved entirely wrong, with the exception of the great fire that gutted London that year, killing hundreds and destroying 70,000 homes in the city, thereby making the year sort of a doomsday for Londoners, for the rest of the planet couldn't miss return failed to materialize, leaving many theologians and astrologers scratching their collective heads and returning to their charts and writings to come up with the next missing update. All right, number seven was 1000 and 1033 CE. Now, considering the role that the number 1000 plays in Scripture, it would be hard to imagine that the turn of the millennium would not be considered increasingly significant. Especially among those who took the book of Revelation's thousand-year millennium reign of Christ literally, interesting, many scholars tend to dismiss the notion and change the millennium created at any great disturbance among the population of Europe. Though others challenge this premise and insist that there is far more evidence for apoc- apocalypticism being rampant around the year 1000 than previously thought some also noted that over the last few decades many medievalist scholars have come to view the period around the turn of the millennium as a time of great social and cultural transformation making it possible to speculate that doomsday expectations around the period may have been more influential than earlier historians were willing to concede Further evidence suggesting the Doomsday Fever continued right up to 1033 CE, the 1000th anniversary of Christ's death and resurrection, are contained within the writings of the Burgundian monk, Redolphus Glaber, he lived from 985 to 10, uh, 1047, as well as other chroniclers of the age. All right. Uh, I'm not going to read the full stuff on some of these others. You had uh, Edgar Casey in the Battle of Armageddon in 1999. one I mentioned earlier was the Y2K bug, 2000. That was number five. Number four, Hal Lindsey in the Great late great planet Earth, 1970. He actually wrote a book about that. Uh, oh, some of, the, some of you of recent years here, uh, how many of you remember... Uh, Fifteen years ago, Heaven's Gate, 1997, uh, number three on the failed prophecy hit list. Uh, On the morning of March 26, 1997, San Diego police were called to a rented mansion in the upscale community of Rancho Santa Fe, California, to investigate reports of possible death. When they got there, they make the most horrific discovery. There, each lying in their own bunk and dressed in identical black shirts and sweatpants and wearing a brand new black and white Nike tennis shoes were 39 rapidly decomposing bodies, the apparent victims of a mass suicide pact. And as you all know, that's kind of tied around the comment and things of that nature. So uh, number two on the hit list. The Millerites and the Great Disappointment in 1844, uh, that hinged around New York farmer turned Baptist minister William Miller. Uh, he was, all by by all accounts, a good and decent man who made a remarkable, or who had a remarkable power to persuade people to his ideas. Man should have become a politician. This turned out to be his great detriment, however, when under, after undertaking an exhaustive self study of the Old Testament, especially the Book of Daniel, he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ would return to earth in all his glory on October 22, 1844. How he arrived at that precise date is the result of a fairly complex series of calculations, but suffice it to say that by 1840, his powers of persuasion were sufficient to induce upwards to 50,000, with some estimates being as high as 500,000, of his fellow New Englanders to buy off on his teachings. When the day came and went without Christ's return, however, the disappointment was, to put Miley, more than a little palpable. Almost overnight his burgeoning church folded, leaving him a man without a congregation, or at least a much smaller one, Undeterred, Miller recalculated and, by finding a simple math error, decided he'd been off by one year and named 1845 the year. After Christ stubbornly refused to return that time either, Miller largely gave up and lived out the final years of of his life as a virtual recluse, devastated by his great disappointment, but never for a moment giving up on his belief that the second coming was imminent. Not to worry, however, for a small remnant of his church survived him become the foundation for the fairly substantial Seventh Adventist Church today, which, while no longer setting dates, still maintains a strong end-times mentality. And number one, (laughs) number one on the hit list of failed prophecies, you know them, you love them, they come to visit you all the time. The Jehovah's Witnesses with Failed Prophecies in 1874, 1914, 1918, 1920, 1925,
1: 1941, and
0: 1975. (sighs) They are one group that has traditionally been very into end times prophecy and whose propensity for picking failed years for Christ's return are legendary the group was founded in eighteen seventy four by a one-time millerite and congregationalist by the name of charles taze russell and since its inception no denomination has been more guilty of repeatedly setting dates than have the jehovah's witnesses usually to their own detriment though russell originally proposed several dates for christ's return starting in eighteen seventy four his most famous doomsday date was october 1, 1914 a day which happened to dovetail nicely with the start of the First World War, which Russell, an ardent pacifist, and his followers believed to be the start of the Battle of Armageddon. When Christ didn't physically return on schedule, however, Russell, taking cue from some of his Miller's followers, simply suggested the Lord had returned invisibly instead, through with, without def- defining exactly what that meant. In any case, it didn't seem to impact the vigor of the church to any great degree, which continues the extraordinary growth in the intervening decades after Russell's death in nineteen sixteen and the article continues on dishonorable uh, mentions jack van imp <laughs> i've got i I've actually got a article page on Jack whose bible based times program continues to clog the airways with its nonsense to this day. Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God, who suggested that the beginning of the end would start January of 73, proved to be the beginning of the end for his church. Retired NASA scientist Edgar Wisenot, whose self published book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988, a book which sold 4 million copies in a few short months, became the prime example why self styled eschatologists should not be allowed to self publish. And, of course, Nostradamus, whose vague quatrains have been interpreted to spell the end for so long that it has been long since rendered almost meaningless. And I want to thank Jeff Danilek, a Denver, Colorado author, uh, for producing this. And he has his, more of this kind of stuff at his website at ourcuriousworld.com. So that is the hit parade of... Uh, prophecies out there, we are going to go ahead and take a music break. Tonight, we are featuring a new CD uh, by the Balls, Ball Brothers. Uh, if you've listened to my show in the past, I've featured some of their music here and now, and uh, they've got a brand new CD out, I've got nine of their tracks, and the name of the CD is called Strength and uh we're going to go on the uh we're going to hit three of their um tracks right now all i have to be eyes on you and i smile and when we come back we're going to have we're going to have the uh commander come on board and uh tell us a little bit about what he does
1: thousand opportunities in my heart and it feels like a cold night today's a new day day. where are my blue skies where Where is the love and the joy that you promised and told me it's alright
2: I was a, a fighter pilot, a test pilot, you know, played with nuclear weapons, et cetera. And, and it begins with a, a crash, um, and uh, the the main character is basically fatally injured. But, of course, the title is resurrect. He comes back. He's given a mission. But the key there is um, it taps into his uh, understanding of classified military weapon systems, which I – I held the top secret clearance, and I, I helped develop some of those weapon systems. So I tried as, as hard as possible to base this on, on fact, on, on real science. Um, and I, I enlisted a, a number of uh, astrophysicists, uh, including Dr. Ed Liu, former astronaut and uh, chairman of the uh, B612 Foundation. But but in it, I, I chose threats that were real, not Mayan calendar things, um, not Planet X. You know, I I, I tried to find the the. Um, Strongest, the, the, the most, the threats that could actually take out humanity, and, and the number one threat um, on that list uh, turned out to be comets and asteroids, which tends to generate a little bit of a giggle factor because, of course, we've all seen movies, you know, with that as a doomsday scenario. But, but in fact, um, when you crunch the numbers, uh, the chances of, of us dying, uh, according to the National Safety Council, uh, from from a lightning strike, is about 150,000 to one. The chance of dying from a comet or asteroid impact is is a fifty thousand to one, or three times higher. So it is it is a significant threat, and in particular, of course, we had a a, a special uh, version of that that has only been discovered recently.
0: Right, there was in the news here this last week about that.
2: Yeah, it's um, we've had a couple of close uh, passes by by small asteroids. Uh, the B612 Foundation, which is a nonprofit, uh, they, one of their statements is only 1% of Earth's orbit crossing asteroids have been discovered. So there's 99% out there that haven't. Now, most of those aren't aren't the huge ones. They're small. But it only takes about 100 to 150-foot um, asteroid or rock to take out an entire city. Um, the scarier part, and uh, I, I started reading a lot of these science papers. My background is engineering, a little bit of astrophysics. Uh, when I started reading these papers, I realized, um, you know, they're mostly equations and statistics. But uh, there were some scary, scary statements there. Uh, one of them is uh, um, talks about low, extreme low albedo comets. And uh, if you'd like, I'd be glad to glad to talk about that. But I don't want to glaze people over too bad.
0: Oh no, no, no! Please, please you know, that, that's what I wanted to get to is, you know, the fact that yeah, we we've heard about asteroids and comets, and most of these movies. You've kind of focused on uh, the asteroid parts, and not so much on the comets. And there's a real good reason for that, isn't there?
2: There is. I mean, you know, asteroids are are fairly relatively, uh, in comparison, easy to identify. There's about 2 million comets, we estimate, in the uh, asteroid belt, you know, running around there. Um, Comets are are a completely different animal. They come from much further out out of the uh, solar system um, very, uh, you know, the description usually for a comet is a, a dirty snowball, you know, a, a big chunk of, of ice uh, with rocks and debris and dust mixed in. Um, the the issue is that uh, there are probably hundreds of billions of cometary fragments versus two million asteroids. Plus, they're so far out, they're outside of the uh, the orbit of Pluto. So most of them, so they're almost impossible to see, and. Um, the predictions with that many cometary fragments, the predictions are there should be uh, somewhere on the order of a thousand more comets than we see. And they're thang- thinking, thank goodness, you know, that, that they don't exist. Well, some recent research, just in the last few years, um, since movies like Armageddon have been made, have suggested, and I'll, I'll uh, and, and I always encourage people, go check this out yourself. Go Google it. But don't, don't take my word for it. I mean, on the com website, we have links, but uh, there's a, um, a UK website. Um, uh, several astrophysicists, actually, Dr. Joe Viverka of Cornell, uh, but also, um, well, I'll I'll cover some of those later, but um, the U.K. website suggests, and this is important, um, most of the comets out there have actually looped around the sun already, maybe a dozen times, maybe a 100, maybe 1,000. And when you go around the sun, you burn off what? You burn off ice. Uh, What's left may be the dirty part of the dirty snowball. And, uh, his suggestion, and a lot of uh, scientists are, are are following this now, is that uh, most of the comets out there may actually be uh, have the reflectivity of fresh asphalt. In other words, they're black comets. Um, and a lot of people say, well, that's that's an interesting theory. Well, in the 1980s, there was a, a comet called Aras Araki Alcock. A real tongue twister. But <laughs> this uh, this comet this comet was uh, came within about three million miles of, of the Earth, and that's very close in astronomical terms. It was five miles wide. We didn't see it until it was two weeks from closest approach. A five-mile comet, particularly because they have higher uh, impact energy than asteroids, would be the same as having a a global nuclear war every day for 25 years.
0: Wow. That'd be a planet cracker, wouldn't it?
2: That would be pretty much game over. Man. And, and there's, you know, there, there's also asteroid threats. so I don't mean to minimize that. Um, probably those might be city killers or even country killers. Um, but the difference with the comets is that we can't see them. Um, now, the B612 Foundation, in fact, I'm donating some of the proceeds uh, both to Christian charities but also to the B612 Foundation, which is intending to put a uh, an infrared telescope up to track all the asteroids. And they believe within a few years they can identify them and identify uh, them. Once we know them, there's something we can do about it. We can protect ourselves for the first time in the history of of uh mankind. we actually have the technology, or we're close to the technology that could deflect these things
0: now now you're uh in your book you know your your main character had some spiritual help, so to speak uh to let him know what was coming and how much time he had to get it done. And he he was very creative in getting the forces put together to do the project, but um, a lot of people when they think okay we got a big comet coming down our butts, you know they get they start thinking you know space platforms and nuclear missiles and things of that nature think you know movie stuff. True. What what you know say we were able to do a a space platform and launch, you know, even neutron bombs or, or nuclear bombs into something like that. What's the what what's the actual relatively real impact of what that would do to us?
2: Unfortunately, if it's a large comet or asteroid, if you hit it with a, a nuke, um you just ch- traded a rifle bullet for a shotgun blast. Um most of the fragments are still probably going to hit the Earth, but even if only half of them did, you know, it, it may be worse than, than having a single strike. Um, it's the last ditch. It's all we may have uh, available to us. But what you really want to do is you want to try to find it far enough out that you can deflect it. Now, you think it only you only have to slow it down by a, really a, a couple millimeters per second, and the Earth uh, is moving so fast it won't be there when it arrives. So you've got to find a way to, to just slow it down or speed it up, either one, um, to, to avoid an impact. Uh, the problem is, and if you have 10 years to do it, piece of cake, well, not piece of cake. But,
1: <laughs> you know,
2: NASA could launch a mission even today and probably probably do that. A small booster, there's several ideas. The problem is if, if you know, we're looking down the crosshairs and it's two years or less from impact. Now we've got to take pretty drastic measures. And, and in the book, I propose a... A, a possibility. Um, it hasn't been done before, but it uses some. You know, wouldn't it be great if we can use this deadly military technology that we've been designing and developing over the years, and, and some of it is still sensitive and classified, but to actually stop something and protect the human race? I just think that would be a, kind of the ultimate. Yeah, we, we, we won't.
0: We won't get into what it actually is used <laughs> in the book, so that you know we can surprise people with what they end up doing. Go. But, but uh, it is. I'll tell you, folks, it is. You, you won't see it coming, and it is actually one of the most ingenious methods I think ever developed in trying to deal with deflecting something like this. So, yeah, the man put some some time and effort and thought into to what this you know this maneuver uh, actually entails. But outside of of that, is there any other? Uh, things from the heavens that we need to be concerned about, or is is those two things pretty much it from that that, uh, aspect?
2: From from a probability standpoint, um, that's pretty much it. There are are a few bizarre threats out there, like gamma ray bursts, but the the chances are so incredibly tiny it's not worth worrying about, plus there's not a thing we could do about them. Um, Most of the other threats, once you leave that, the number two threat, actually something that, uh, that we're we're creating here on Earth.
0: And that would be
2: artificial intelligence. Um, that's uh, again, you know, it's, it's probably the most controversial.
0: Now um, but... Galactica stuff.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. People, people, you know, they they think, well, yeah, you know, everybody hears Moore's law that computers are doubling in capacity every two years. But we see it. I mean, the, the the telephone that we're holding in our hand. If you've got a smartphone, two years and it's obsolete. You know that. So we're actually physically seeing the doubling of capacity. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to draw a line out and say, 20, 25 years from now, uh, they'll have the same or higher computational power than a brain. And will they become aware? We don't know. There's a there's a huge huge question mark hanging there. But the the, the wild card is that. All these smartphones that have an IQ equivalent of about a lizard, they're all connected, and they're becoming more and more connected, kind of like the neurons in the human brain.
0: Yeah. Well, that's... um, I know you laughed at the Battlestar Galactica reference, but one of my favorite scenes at the end of Battlestar Galactica, the the season finale and so forth that ended the whole run has... Mm -hmm. uh, Gaius and that blonde uh Cylon uh they're walking through present day earth, and you know they're they're talking about you know they're they're going down that same path history's repeating itself and whatnot, mm-hmm. and the uh you know D- Gaius is lamenting you know how humanity is gonna you know fall into the same path and the uh the Cylon, which was the actual artificial intelligence being was like i don 't know Every, you know not everything falls into the same path and and they have a chance to change things and then they show all of the as they're walking down the i think it's like New york city they're showing different advertisements for robots artificial mm-hmm. intelligent robots that we're developing Construct, and uh, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna get there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we are. I mean, we better be prepared. We better be thinking ahead. But you're absolutely right.
0: Now, no something like a um, a scenario, you know, for instance, like a Skynet from Terminator. What's really the likelihood of something like that ever happening?
2: I think that's actually very, very small. Um, that's the classic science fiction story. The the mainframe computer wakes up and has access to military hardware or takes it. Mine is a little bit more subtle. I, I want people to imagine what happens when you wake up and you ask Siri a question on your phone and she tells you what to do with it. <laughs> um, it, it might not control nuclear weapons, but it controls your schedule, your communications, your GPS, your finances. To me, that's a little more horrifying, actually. And,
0: and then- and this is something that's going to take place in your second book, right? Yeah. Artificial intelligence is going to be a focus for that one. And, and I think you're right. I I, I can't imagine getting up, you know, as much as I work on the Internet, I'm I'm probably 16 hours a day on a computer with the work I do and whatnot. I can't imagine sitting here
2: So, and, and what's kind of scary is it would be distributed intelligence, which means, you know, in the in the movies you just have to pull the plug on the giant mainframe. But if if the intelligence lives on every phone all over the world, and there's billions of smartphones, that makes it a little more complicated.
0: Oh yes, yes. You you kick off your computer and you go out to your car, and the car's like, where do you think you're going today?
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. science your insurance company uses to figure out your premiums. But number three was a biological and nuclear war, which was kind of shocking, you know, that it only came in at number three. But it is a real threat. It's not as likely to take out humanity, but it could take out civilization if we're not careful. Yeah. And 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 that ultimately in, in the third book it's it's uh kind of the first one is, is man against nature. The next one is uh, is humanity against that which we create and the third one is humanity against humanity.
1: Mhm
0: yeah that's a that's a killer because that's something something we need you take take nuclear weapons out of the equation, even biological weapons man has been his worst own enemy for millennia you know we we just can't seem to get the idea we're all on the same hunk of rock. why can't we all get along and figure it out together?
2: You know, and that's this sounds terrible, but but uh, an external threat like a comet or an asteroid. One of the you know, I'm I'm an idealist at heart, I and mean, I believe that that would actually tend to pull us together. I mean, don't you think? Especially if it takes the world's resources to stop it. So, don't get me wrong; I'm not wishing that on on us at all. But but sometimes it takes an external enemy to to pull everybody together and realize we are brothers.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you're and you're very right on that. It's, you know, unfortunately, it, sometimes it does take that. And of course, with with everything going on, the different different religions and faiths and political ideologies and, and all of that. I mean, it's there's so much out there to divide us over some really silly stuff. You know, that it it seems almost like it'd have to be. Almost a a world ender to get everyone on board on a single thought of survival. So
2: yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope that's not the case, but but it, it may be.
0: Yep. Um. One of the, one of the shows that I recently saw on uh, I, I watched on NBC, which I thought was interesting. It wasn't uh, a world ender in any kind of capacity, but it was a show called revolution where everything that's powered by electricity all suddenly shuts down across the world. And we, we take up with the show 15 years later and, uh society has adapted as best it can to a powerless world. Um, is there anything out there in, in, uh, in the technological realms that could have a dampening effect on a power grid like that, even on a regional scale?
2: There actually is. Um, you know, in, in my, I ranked about eight threats, and that did make the top eight. I think it was, if I remember correctly, I have to go look at the Resurrect Trilogy website, but I believe it was number five. Um, there's two ways that could happen. One is artificial, one is natural. Of course, the solar flare a powerful enough solar flare could certainly take out an entire power grid. There was one back in the, uh, I believe it was the, um, uh, the late 1800s, that uh, that struck uh, such that they were they were actually able to see aurora borealis in as far uh, down south as uh, the Keys in Cuba, and wow. all they had, of course, then was telegraph wires, but it literally set some of the telegraph equipment on fire and shocked. I mean, they got electrical shocks. You know, the telegraph operators. So sure. you can imagine that type of a surge of electricity going through a telegraph line. Now try to picture our, our highly sensitive society today. Mm. Um, now, I don't think it would, you know, it certainly wouldn't end humanity or probably civilization. But if you took the power grid in the United States or, or any developed country down for weeks or even a month or so, that would be pretty horrible. I mean, there'd be uh, all sorts of, you know, starvation, unrest, Um, And there is a way it can be done
0: with Superstorm Sandy.
2: Yes, exactly. I mean, you see that on a small scale, Now, try to imagine the entire U.S. power grid. The chances of that are extremely small, and they are building new uh, surge suppressors into the the power lines um, that will protect against that. Um, However, you can also duplicate that with something called electromagnetic pulse, which is you could detonate a, a specially designed nuclear weapon, and they do exist. That create nothing but a giant pulse. Um, the destructive power of the weapon is small. There might even be an airburst, but the electromagnetic pulse is not. Um, we we had to hard hard uh, harden our aircraft. I, I flew F 18s and they were hardened to prevent them from being destroyed or damaged during the the you know, pulse from a nuclear nuclear burst. But very few electronics have that type of hardening.
0: Now I re- I remember um, being a you know so interested in survival type stuff growing up and, and uh, going into uh, 1990s uh, I grew up with the Cold War and all that, the Soviet threats and I was, I remember reading something that if we if there was an EMP burst over your area that, you know the best thing to have kind of stored away is a pre-1970 vehicle with uh uh, changes in the cabling, electronic ignitions, and so forth for such a car, uh, you'd be able to get back up and running after a blast.
2: That's that's exactly right. It's, it's uh, electronics are what are sensitive to the pulse. Um, all it all it is if you think about electromagnetic magnetic pulses, you're just running a huge current through all your wires at the same time. Uh-huh. And if they're just wires and they're mechanical systems, no big deal. But if they're electronics, they're going to fry.
0: Gotcha. Well, keep that in mind, folks. Do not get rid of your pre-1970 vehicles. <laughs> you know, try to hold on to them if you can. Buy them up when you see them on, on uh, Facebook and and uh, Craigslist and whatnot, and store them away in case it ever comes to be. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go to uh, our top of the hour music break. We're gonna have some more music by the Ball Brothers. Uh, this run, we're gonna have not any more. Over the horizon And there is hope And yes new agers out there There is hope Even though you didn't die yesterday There is hope Jesus Christ loves you still And loves you forever And if you just come to him You've got hope that No matter what comes to this earth We've got another place to go So we're going to go on with some more music And uh, we'll be back in just a a few minutes Mm -hmm.
1: Stand up, our Messiah's come at last For so long we've been waiting Now the waiting's in the past A bright new day is dawning One we'd only dream we'd know Oh, mm-hmm. I need So I'm trying my best To remember the vision He's given to me Just over the horizon Past the mountains Of uncertainty The place where dreams Become reality Got all the comforts of home Stepping out is not as scary As the worry of stepping into the unknown And it's not that I'm afraid of the moving For the danger will come if you wait And the door will never open By just hoping you've got to start walking in faith So keep trying your best to hold on And remember the promise he gave The mountains of uncertainty
0: the comet, asteroids, artificial intelligence, global nuclear war. Um, Of course, you got on here, actually at number five, you've got runaway global warming at about a 25% threat. So, obviously, that's not a real big threat. Uh, But even less of a threat is a supervolcano. And one of the things I think is interesting is is there's a lot of talk about... um, is it called a calderon or calderon?
2: Uh, a caldera.
0: Is, caldera, thank you. The the super caldera that's underneath uh, Yellowstone Park. In fact, they kind of feature it to a degree in the movie 2012. Absolutely. And, and um, Now, that, that thing did blow up at one time, didn't it?
2: Uh, they believe it's actually blown up uh, fairly cyclically every few hundred thousand years. And unfortunately, if you look at that cycle, we're probably about that time again.
0: Yay! <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you better go see Yellowstone quickly. <laughs>
0: yeah, if you if you if you miss the geyser, go see it now. It might not be around for a while. If it goes, it may go for good. <laughs> um, but that thing, from what I understand, the last time it blew, it covered.
2: news um the bad news obviously that would be uh a- incredible destruction for for us here in the united states uh the good news is it would reverse uh global warming <laughs> sorry i shouldn't say that there but, you I mean, go. <laughs> um, it would basically create a nuclear winter and, and possibly even a mini ice age um it's it, it's a it, it is a horrible threat um one of the reasons i didn't rank it high is probably it's not one that would 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 end humanity i mean obviously it would end, uh, it would depend on where there's, and there's several of these super volcanoes around the world, depending on where it went off, it would be horribly destructive. Um, but for the rest of the world, um, the biggest impact would be uh, a nuclear winter, um, chilling temperatures, etc. So humanity and civilization would survive. But the other factor is there's not a darn thing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do. So, you know, th- there's not a lot of point in worrying about it, but also not a lot of, of, of point in, in trying to plan for it, except potentially mitigate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, um, one of the things you've got here listed at number four, with a 99% threat factor, uh, pandemic biological war. Now, are we talking zombies here?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to disappoint the zombie <laughs> fans, but I uh, didn't quite make the list this year, but, uh, you know, hang on. Maybe maybe we'll get them in next year. Um, obviously, a... A biological threat is is very real, whether it be just a a natural thing like an extremely resistant to Marsa or uh, Ebola or something that's engineered or created. It could be phenomenally deadly. Uh, Again, probably not going to take out humanity. We should be able to uh, isolate it eventually. But depending on how bad, how destructive it is, it it has the possibility of killing millions, maybe tens of millions. There were influences in our our history that, that have done that. Um, and especially with our globally connected society, airplanes flying everywhere, it's a it's a huge potential danger, and that is something we can do something about. Now, my ranking system is a little bit weird in that it, it was it's an apocalyptic threat. So, to to make the top of the list, it has to be have the capability of taking either us out or taking civilization out. And while that is incredibly dangerous, and in fact, some outbreaks are extremely likely the chances of of it being apocalyptic are are relatively small.
0: Huh. All right. Well, that's good to know because I know there's some pretty scary biological, uh, material that's being developed by our government and other governments out there that God forbid, something should happen. That stuff gets out. It, It can cause some, some major, uh, Major deaths uh, in a uh, continental size catastrophe. So
2: yeah, it's and it's it's particularly horrible and scary because um, it, it would sneak up on you. By the time you've realized that this thing is out, uh, it, you know, it will have spread across countries and possibly the globe. Yeah. Um, so it it could be a, um, a, a it could be a civilization damaging. Um,
0: yeah, because you're talking about, you know, some of these things, they can get into our genetic code. You know, if those who are resistant to it, it can still change their genetics to a degree. And, you know, it could get into our animal's DNA. It could get into plant DNA and, and have have things occur that, um Ah, what's the word I'm looking for? The side effects, the, the long-term side effects to humanity, to our ecosphere, everything, could be just, it could either benefit or it could, could hurt the chances of humanity surviving long-term a, a great deal.
2: There um, and on the on the website on, on the resurrecttrilogy.com website we've got I've got some links to uh, some articles. One of them is called the superbug. Uh, the most frightening thought process is a virus or a, 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 even a bacteria that uh, has the ability to mutate rapidly. It's mm-hmm. one thing if we can identify what it is and and knock it down. Um, the the fear is that you'll have something that mutates quickly and becomes rapidly resistant to whatever we find to fight it. Um, uh, it's. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of stories and science fictions out there that, that deal with that. Uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to touch that because it's already been done. But it is a very real, very dangerous threat.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's a couple of concepts that you talk about in your book that that were were very interesting for a guy like me who's not only a Christian and someone who's studied the Bible, but is also a, a scientist in, in some regards. I have a, a huge affinity for math and science and theory. And some of the stuff talked about, I've actually heard of, but never had it taken to this kind of thought process. And uh, one of those things, uh, we're talking about uh, dimensions in space, and and you know where is heaven? You know, you know, you know, why why can't we physically tie it down, so to speak? And uh, your character deals with that a little bit. And I want you to explain some of that to to those people listening.
2: Sure. And uh, you know, I'm I'm an engineer, like I said by education. I'm I'm not a physicist. I did do some graduate work in astrophysics. Um, oh, by the way, I, I did remember Dr. Bill Napier. I just wanted to give him credit uh, out of the UK. Hey, Dr. Bill. It was one of the brains I, I picked. I think I mentioned Dr. Joe Viverka, who was a principal investigator on the NASA's um, Stardust, Stardust Next mission. And I also uh, talked a little bit to uh, Dr. Carolyn Shoemaker, who uh, Shoemaker-Levy Comet was named after. But anyway, uh, so I've finished with my name dropping. <laughs> Moving on, to uh, these guys were awesome. Though. They, without their help, uh, the, the book would have, would have, wouldn't have been the same. Um, now, what you were talking about is, is fascinating to me. I've always had an interest in, in physics. You know, most scientists will, will, will talk about physics as kind of the heart of science. You know, a lot of other types of science are based off of that. And if you look at the heart of physics, a lot of people say it's quantum mechanics. Now, as soon as I say that, a lot of people are, you know, going to want to glaze over and disappear real quickly. But, but hang on for a second. Um, quantum mechanics uh, states some very fascinating things. And, in fact, I'll, I, you were talking about heaven. Um, the latest theory of they have what they call the theory of everything that's what that's the goal of physics. We want to try to tie all the forces of nature into one giant equation, one giant theory. You know, electromagnetism, uh, um, you know, light, uh, gravity. We want to tie it all together in one one equation. The latest contender for the theory of everything is something called M theory. Now, M theory, uh, and it's it's so far done pretty well. It's been around for I think almost a decade now. And it stood the test of time. There's still a lot of things and missing pieces, and it. it hasn't tied everything together. But it's, it is definitely the strongest contender. To, for it to work, though, M theory, requires 11 dimensions. Without 11 dimensions, the, the equations don't bounce. It fails. So let, let's kind of put that in our hat for a minute. We, we have to have 11 dimensions for this thing to work. Interestingly enough, um, if you take out the three dimensions of space and the one of time, in other words, the dimensions we're all familiar with, what you have left is you're, you're missing seven dimensions. There are seven invisible dimensions, according to M-theory. Now, I, I couldn't help but think this is a fascinating correlation, because if you study Christianity, in fact, all the major religions tie the number seven very specifically to heaven. Um, uh, in Judaism, there are seven uh, um, levels of heaven, uh, excuse me, seven heavens in um in Islam, seven heavens. In the Bible, in Revelations, seven is is the most prevalent number, and it's frequently tied very specifically to heaven. Now, please understand, I'm not saying, uh, I don't want a lot of people uh, ticked off at you or me, but I'm not saying that physics has identified the location of heaven. But you've got <laughs> to admit it's a fascinating correlation. We can't, you know, one of the biggest uh, claims of, of those who don't uh, don't believe in God are like, well, if heaven exists, where the heck is it? Where is uh, nice touch there, what the heck is it but where is it where where is heaven located um and then phys- physicists say, hey, we got seven missing dimensions you know you gotta admit that's a that's a it's an interesting correlation if nothing else
0: it is it is a very interesting correlation now no uh along with that there there's this this uh schrodinger, schrodinger i think it's Schroders or schrodinger's cat right yeah. is an interesting uh little discussion where he creates uh, a poison he sets it in a box with a cat with the notion that if this one type of molecule manifests it will cause the poison to release and the cat is dead however this molecule and trying to put it in simple terms for those listening uh this molecule The only time that it is said to to exist is when it is actually witnessed. There has to be an observer of the molecule for it to be declared existing. So at any one point, it either is there or it's not there. And you may not have observed it, even though it appeared. So you never know whether or not the cat is dead or alive in the box. So at any one point in time, the cat is both dead and alive at that same moment, All right? That kind of pans into this whole theory in, in this this idea that uh, Josh, the main character, gets into a discussion with Jesse. We'll leave alone who Jesse is right at the moment. But <laughs> we'll, we get into a discussion with Jesse about, you know, how the cosmos was created. And, of course, in Genesis, you know, the Lord said, let there be light, and upon the darkness, you know, light befell, and blah, blah, blah. Um, Go into a little bit more detail about this observer thing and how it plays into the, you know, the creation of the universe from a scientific standpoint.
2: Yeah, uh, the that, that What you mentioned is, you know, Schrodinger's cat, which is a, a thought experiment in physics, and, and you did a good job of that. But Schrodinger's cat was uh, uh, devised to try to explain um, what happens when you take quantum mechanics to its ultimate level. Um, Niels Bohr, uh, a Nobel-winning physicist, once said, um, if quantum mechanics has not profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it. Okay, now this is a this is a physicist. Um, he went on to say, and I'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But he said, uh, without an observer, there is no reality. Now this isn't a philosopher talking. This is a Nobel-winning physicist. But the point the point he's making is by by, and this of course we're talking subatomic. When that atom uh, is either uh, over here or over there, according to quantum mechanics, until it's observed, it is both. It is both over here. And over there now, people go, oh, no, you just don't know where it is." No, no, they're going, "No, you don't understand. We're telling you, it is in both locations, and we can prove it by experimentation. Until it's observed, then it's locked in one position. In other words, the observer sets the state, or the observer sets reality." Now you go, "Okay, well that's interesting, but weird. So what?" <laughs> well, now now we move to the other side of science. Uh, quantum mechanics is the is the uh, the um, science the physics of the incredibly tiny. The physics of the incredibly large, the humongous, is cosmology. That looks at at, uh, galaxies and, and the universe in general. Well, everybody is probably familiar with the Big Bang Theory, which says that the universe started from an infinitely tiny point that exploded and created the universe. Well, think about that for a minute. When it was in that state, they call it a singularity. When it was an infinitely tiny point, it would have operated under what laws? Well, it had to operate under the laws of quantum mechanics because it was in the subatomic regime. Well, quantum mechanics says to set the state, you must have an observer. So quantum mechanics suggests that there can be no reality, there could be no universe, unless there was an observer to set the state at the beginning, which I find very fascinating.
0: Yes. It it definitely, you know, that is something that, Ever since I I had that thrown at me in your book, you know, I got thinking about it and thinking about it. I'm like, (laughs) I got you guys. (laughs) (laughs) All you people have been arguing about Big Bane. I got one for you now.
2: (laughs) It's It's a it's a powerful statement, and it really kind of expands the way you think. Um there's now, even in physics, because a lot of the tenets of physics are so strange that they make the tenets of, of religion look fairly tame in comparison. Once you understand what they're talking about, you know, multiple dimensions, dark energy, dark matter, um, uh, the requirement of an observer to set the state, to set reality – like wow, and my belief, and this is just my personal belief, because I've been a science and technology lover since a, since I was a tot. But I really believe we're seeing a, a, a coming together, and I, you know, we, we're seeing intersections of science and religion. And I believe one day, one day, probably far in the future, long long after we're gone, I, I think we're going to see a merging of that. Uh, I believe they're maybe one and the same. We just haven't re- realized it yet.
0: Well, you know, for uh, here, here's a great analogy, all right. And I, I and I'm going to throw this out there for my friend Troy, who's listening in right now. You know, quantum mechanics, to you know, in comparison to what you're dealing with in the paranormal and so forth, is like, like quantum mechanics is that triple dark chocolate, delicious dessert being placed in front of you compared to the paranormal, which is basically vanilla pudding with some raisins in it. So, <laughs> there's so much depth of, of incredibility and and uh, wonderment to be um, found within quantum mechanics and so forth, compared to the vagaries and silliness that's in the paranormal. So uh, I, I just want to throw that out there. Hi Troy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it's just some amazing stuff out there. And what blows me away is there is so much that that borders on almost supernatural when when you really get into some of the the wilder stuff in quantum mechanics. And, and is people would have a hard time not only grasping it, but also accepting it for what it is. Yet we've got people in the paranormal realms that take totally off the wall theories that have absolutely no basis in in scientific theory or anything else, and and totally and fully accept them as if they are fact yeah you know, and it just blows my mind, yeah you know, it just blows my mind.
2: I think the, you know it w- might be fun to have a lot of the people who have uh, that focus and and I do understand it I mean certainly there's a fascination there, but study physics, you know put put that that mind that inquisitive mind to you i mean, come on, think about it, seven missing dimensions, seven invisible dimensions that's that kind of puts most of the paranormal stuff kind of, um, you know, uh, through vampires right out the window. I mean, that's yeah. pretty tame when you're talking about <laughs> invisible dimensions. The, you know, the 95% of the universe now, physics has specifically stated, and that includes matter and energy, 95% of the universe now they believe is invisible. Um, dark energy, dark matter. I mean, it, it, you know, your physics, uh, physicists are like kids in a candy shop right now. I mean they're trying they're realizing that only five percent of the universe is visible, and they're trying to figure out what the rest of it is composed of
0: well and that that also is like um it's like the energy theory uh we with in regards to ghosts you know <clears throat> there there is this this belief this theory put out there and it's so i should say a belief because there's a lot of people that just accept this as fact that you know a super traumatic Event a uh, tragic event, and so forth uh, that causes a death, leaves an imprint on its surroundings, and this results in a um a type of haunting, a residual haunting All right but when you take into account the second law of thermodynamics, that can't possibly ever be <laughs> right. you know and and people just like they just throw out different. Uh, facts and, th- uh, and scientific proofs uh, so that their their ideas and their beliefs will fit correctly when the simplest thing can totally devastate it. So that's that's one of the reasons we have this show is we, we want to get to facts and, and truths and so forth. And, of course, we definitely apply the Word of God as the ultimate truth to these things. And uh, one thing, we've been talking tonight about prophecies and about world enders and things like that. And I want, you know, those who are listening, there's only one place that has ever recorded prophecies that have come true 100% of the time when they have come about, and that is the Bible. Every prophecy now in the Old Testament. I think there's over 300 prophecies that directly discuss the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, his birth, and in his ministry and what would happen to him. All right, over 300 prophecies were that were then verified, fulfilled, and completed in all of their glory. When Jesus Christ was born, he walked this earth, and he died and was resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. And there is so much more uh, yet to be fulfilled out of Daniel, out of, out of Paul, out of all these uh, these uh, prophets and apostles. Uh, we have the book of Revelations. You know, there, there's... Things that are com- that are talked about in Revelations that are coming to pass today and have been for the last thirty years. There is more to come. Um, you know, a lot of people they get all hyped up about you know a one-world government coming and this and that. I'm even involved politically in an organization called the American Precinct Project where we're trying to you know, get people awoken to the fact that they can have an impact, but we've got to do it by taking over the two major political parties. But even that, let's say that is completely successful, we take over the two major parties and we start changing things here in the United States. Revelations, God's word states, that, the, that a one-world government will come to be, and at the head of it will be the Antichrist, the beast. Right? It's going to happen, folks. Don't get yourself all fretted up about when the world is going to end. Don't get yourself fretted up about when is Jesus going to come back. He's going to come back. But whether or not it's going to happen in our life or the next generation's life or the generation after that, that is not what he wants us to be focused on, folks. The Lord wants us focused on one thing. Well, let's say two things. We ourselves, to be walking and focused on him in faith, all right to be to be trying to model our lives after what he did and the way he walked, the way he ministered. All right, and on top of that, going out, he gave us the authority and the the power to go out and minister and to be and to make disciples of all nations. And we've got we've got the technology to reach the world now in the f- deepest corners of Africa, South America, Asia, we've got the ability to put the message of Jesus Christ into everybody's hands in every kind of language. And let me tell you something, if you go uh this this uh show is now part of the Christian Freedom Network. Uh this is we're in the pre-launch, that's why our show is is with it in pre-launch and then after January we are going to have a full out launch and when we come back from our music break I'm going to talk about that but you can go to our website at christianfreedomnetwork.com and I have a uh, utility there just below the uh, blog talk widget that you can check out and it is from a ministry called Faith Comes by Hearing. And there is a widget there that offers uh, the Bible, the New Testament, and sometimes the full Bible, old and new, uh, in just about every kind of language, uh, from Akateko, I think that's how it's pronounced, um, all the way down to, and some of those look like... uh, Chinese, Japanese, we got Arabic, uh, Udic, Somali, all kinds of different languages the Bible has been translated into. And through this widget, you can choose what language, you choose what what book of the Bible and what chapter. Click on the uh, play button, and you can hear the Bible, all of its scriptures being talked out in those languages. So, yeah, technology is being used by by our enemy, Satan, uh, to do some major damage, but we're taking, we're using that same technology to spread the word of God out there. And see, that's what we need to be focused on, winning souls to Christ. That's what our focus should be on, not when is he coming back, not when is the world going to end. You know, if you're walking in Christ, and you've got Christ in your heart, and He's your Savior, you don't have to worry about when things are going to end. If you die in front of a bus tomorrow, or you die of old age in your sleep 50 years from now, you know where you're going to go when you wake up again. It's going to be in heaven. And that's the only focus we need to have. So all this prophecy stuff, it's a bunch of malarkey, folks. Don't worry about it. Just focus on what God needs us to focus on, and we're going to be okay. All right, we're going to we're going to go on to another batch of music, and um, again, this is uh, the Ball Brothers CD, Strength. And I recommend you go out and get the CD. You know, do a quick Google search. I don't have their website right on hand, but uh, the Ball Brothers, and they're a great quartet. And uh, we're going to go up the last three pieces. Uh, coming up is "Walk with Me," "What If," and "You Love Me Anyway." And uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. So you know, stand by, have it, enjoy the listening, and and talk to you in a bit.
1: There are things about me God only knows. And I have to say you guys are next in line No matter what I tell you You don't love me less And it shows you are the truest friends of mine On this narrow road of faith I don't want To my life any time These feet are prone to wander When temptation calls to me So I'm asking you to help keep me alive There's a risk in being open And a fear in honesty
2: some of the proceeds to, uh, in fact, a significant portion of the of the proceeds, of the profits, to some nonprofits, both uh, Christian nonprofits and some organizations like B612 that are trying to protect humanity from things like asteroids and comets. Um, but on the website, we're running a little drawing. In fact, we just finished a cycle, but we're about to start another one. Uh, it'll be for a, um, a free Kindle fire, uh, also to have a future character named after you. Since this is a trilogy, we've got two more books, are, um, I'm finishing up now, so an opportunity to have a character named after you know if you're into that. But also, uh, uh, Resurrect was uh, is a finalist, Colorado Gold Finals for Best Action all of the Year, and has been optioned for a movie by uh, producer Fred Miller. Uh, Fred Miller is finishing up a film called When Angels Sing. It's uh, being released overseas; should be released here probably just before Christmas, uh, next Christmas. Um, stars Harry Connor Jr., uh, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, an awesome movie. So um, we, we were hope to take Resurrect uh, as a techno-thriller. Um, we're pretty excited about that. But if that happens, we're going to invite you to the set. That will be also the opportunity on the website. Uh, if you'd like to see how a film is made and actually be on the set during the filming, uh, Fred's given us uh, permission to invite a batch of people.
0: Great. Well, we want to thank you for for uh, being on the show. Thank you for writing the, the book and the other books you've got coming out. And thank you for your service, sir. I do appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Pastor Mike. Really enjoyed it. All
0: right, and I got one suggestion. When when you go to do the movie, your uh, yes. main character Josh, uh, have you ever ever watched Burn Notice? Yes. Okay, you know the uh, the bald headed guy that's a part of their team right now. Right. He'd make a great Josh.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll look into it.
0: <laughs> All right. All right, well, uh, we're going to say goodbye to you. We've got uh, just a couple minutes before the end of the show here. Uh, Folks, next week we are going to be having a very cool, cool guest. Uh, His name is Mark Lamek. He's a director, producer, and writer for Family Entertainment in the motion pictures and television industries, a patented inventor, and elected six times as governor for the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Uh, He wrote and illustrated a book, an award-winning book called Little Ones in uh, the Book of Darkness. Uh, it's won the uh, Dove Award, Indie Excellence, Finalist Book Awards, Mom's Choice, Gold for Young Adult Fiction, Mom's Choice Award, Gold for Fantasy, Myths, and Legends, and Honorable Mention at the New York Book Expo. Again, it's Mark Lamek. He'll be here next week, so join us on that. And um uh, wanted to let you know that We are a part of the Christian Freedom Network Radio, and uh, we're going to be having our all-out blowout uh, after the first of the year, and we already have a great lineup of uh, shows. We're going to be having Bill Humbert. Uh, He's going to be talking on how to find work out there in this economy. He'll be on Mondays. Uh, Simplified Faith by John DeFrancis. He'll also be on Mondays in the evening. Uh, We've got America's Monetary Mess by Lawrence Sarson on Tuesdays. Uh, Behind Enemy Lines with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. He's also on Tuesdays. Uh, We're going to have a show by Jerome Cleary on Wednesdays. We're going to be doing uh, The Call from Sinai by Mal Jones on Thursdays. Uh, Table for One, Please, by Uh, D. Michelle Thompson on Fridays. And, of course, you got me on Saturdays. And we're still lining up more shows. So be definitely tuning in, ChristianFreedomNetwork.com. And, of course, my show, The Paranormal Christian, at TheParanormalChristian.com. You guys have yourself a great Merry Christmas. God bless everyone. And I will talk to you next week.